I'm Laura. And I'm Sarah. And we're Bible Bitches. Hey, Laura. Yeah. Hey, Sarah. Want to tell me a little bit about yourself? I'd love to. I am a one Laura Barclay, also known as Bear Claw. And I hail from the great state of Kentucky. We are the land of horses and bourbon. That is accurate. I've been there, and that's true. There are only horses, and the rivers are actually just completely full of bourbon. <laughs> They're actually just bourbon. Mm-hmm. Right. Every river in Kentucky is the river of life. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's that's true. We are the land of the land of milk and honey. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of facts, fun facts about me, Sarah. Uh, I like the color purple. The, the book or the color? Good question. <laughs> Both. <laughs> I briefly lived, not briefly, actually, uh, for a while, nearly a decade, I lived in North Carolina, where I met you, Sarah Hoff, at the Wake Forest University School of Divinity. Yes, you did. Do you remember the the Wake Div song? Wasn't there something about a tapestry, weaving a tapestry? Of vibrant strands. Of vibrant strands. Da, 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 da. Draw us together and make us one. I, I <laughs> Tapestry woven I... with vibrant stress. That goes like... out to you, Aaron Goddard, because I know you love that song. I know you love it. I feel like I never actually sung that song just out of like, just out of principle. Because <laughs> it's, it's a weird song. But it, it has now woven its way into my heart with its tapestries of vibrant strands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now, on to the podcast. You ready to talk about some sex in the Bible with Song Solomon? That's right. And let me tell you, leading up to today, I tried to review my notes from Divinity School. And Sarah, I kid you not, my notes from that day read as follows. And I quote, (laughs) Nard equals sex juices. Ha ha, ha ha, ha ha, ha ha, all in caps, end quote. And that's all I had because I was 12 in divinity school, was I? <laughs> I feel like those were similar to my notes. I remember just trying not to, like, fall out of my chair laughing <laughs> because <laughs> I, um, I'm i just never going to be a proper adult. That's totally fair. And so basically this podcast is an apology to our beloved Hebrew Bible professor, Dr. Neil Walls, who graciously tolerated us and made class very interesting, and I promise you we listen, Dr. Walls. We love you, uh, Dr. Walls. We love you. So, Sarah, I think part of the reason you and I were laughing was actually out of anxiety. You and I grew up pretty conservatively, and sex was kind of a taboo topic, right? Indeed. Indeed it was. As uh, somebody who grew up being homeschooled until seventh grade, I did not actually receive any kind of sex education. I feel feel like I remember in seventh grade when I was at my conservative Baptist private school that they taught to us about sex, but it was mostly about how, like, we should, like, wash ourselves, and then the girls got separated out, and we were just told about makeup. (laughs) That's not really an exaggeration. Oh, that sounds amazing, Sarah. Uh, I, like you, went to an unnamed conservative Christian high school, and our sex ed uh, also consisted of split-gendered two weeks in all classes, where the first week was dating etiquette, and that stopped with kissing at the front door. And the second week of slideshows, it was just slideshows, and they were just venereal diseases and vaginas. So no 
actual info or mm-hmm. safety or anything like that. Just terror and shame. Yeah. In um in youth group, I believe that the refrain was, "Girls are red, boys are blues. Don't make purple." Do you remember that? <laughs> no. <laughs> or do that you remember the? <laughs> do you remember amazing. like the whole thing about like, uh, like you're a rose, and every time you have sex, or like I don't know, go too far with a boy, but it, I feel like it wasn't even specified how far too far was then like a petal fell off your rose and you didn't want to give your husband uh like just a stem or something <laughs> just a dead stem <laughs> oh sarah that's terrible ours was more i i remember the metaphor of food coloring and water it, it just basically it just got dirty quick it got real dirty yeah that's a good one that's a good one that is the most cisgendered heteronormative conservative tripe Ever. Indeed. Indeed it is. Just it ever. Is. Ugh, it's, gross. It's disgusting on multiple levels mm-hmm. insofar as that, it, you know, there's the body shaming, there's the, you, you know what, that is that is a dialogue that's been going on. I can't add anything interesting to it. <laughs> Let's be honest. There's just so much there. There's so there's much just, there. There's so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think... I think here's the thing about that is that, like, our experience, I don't feel is that out of the norm. I think a lot of churches of all stripes don't really address sex ed or kind of an embodied theology um, that would take away elements of shame. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that when so- Song of Solomon, the, the book that we're going to talk about today, is talked about in churches, it's A, generally not mentioned, and if it is, it's kind of seen as a vague metaphor for Christ and the church, mm-hmm. but that a hundred percent ignores the context of the writing. Um, I was looking back on one of the Bible or one of the books that we used in our class in divinity school by John J. Collins. And he writes in introduction to the Hebrew Bible that because the writings in Song of Solomon are controversial, it was disputed by rabbis about whether or not to be included in the canon, i.e. the final books of the Bible. He states, that, quote, rabbis preserve the sanctity of the song by interpreting it as an allegory for the love between Yahweh, or God, and Israel, despite the fact that the song never mentions God. And in the church tradition, the song was most often read as an allegory for the love between Christ and the church. Yeah, but we're running into the same problem here. Like, though, again, God is never mentioned and the Christian church does not yet exist as this is pre-Christian text. This is still in the Old Testament. I feel like this is just something I experienced a lot in church, interpreting the Old Testament as having to do with Jesus. That's totally right. Yeah. And I feel like that's a fairly hot button issue in interfaith work. So important for Christians to hold intention that they share these sacred texts that are interpreted very differently in the Jewish community than in uh, Christian communities. Right. And so I remember I noticed Collins also stated that Collins lists several options for modern interpretations besides the traditional allegorical interpretation. One, a drama between either two or three main characters, a cycle of wedding songs, a remnant of a fertility cult, and a single love poem or a collection of love poems. Sarah, I like (laughs) when you say remnant of a fertility cult. 
any yeah. conservative males listening are probably feeling chest pains. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My my goal for 2018 is to begin again a fertility cult. Just kidding. <laughs> so <Do it>. um, <laughs> so the idea of the remnant of a fertility cult is probably not exactly right. Collins definitely doesn't think so because of the structure, as well as the wedding context, as well as the dramatic interpretation. He's saying that according to the language structure, it's basically a dialogue and poem that shifts the viewpoint from the man to the woman. It has a unique, it's unique in that it has a feminine voice and is one of two books in the Hebrew Bible that does not mention God. The other is Esther, which is a really interesting piece of it, I think. That's super interesting. And some of the highlights for me about this book are that it includes beautiful poetry and dialogue about an unmarried couple in love, which is pretty scandalous to our conservative context that we grew up in. (laughs) Hi. And they are talking about one another's bodies and delighting in one another. This That's where the nard comes in. That's where the nard comes in, y'all. Y'all. Just, just, just. And like pomegranate juice. Just hold on. This is about to turn into some some erotica, Sarah. Um, (laughs) So uh, unmarried couples talking about each other's bodies and delighting in one another would have been taboo at the time that this was written. And that's alluded to in chapter 8, verse 1, when the woman states, quote, Oh, that you were like a brother to me who nursed at my mother's breasts. If I met you outside, I would kiss you. And no one would despise me, end quote. According to Deuteronomy 22, if anyone had caught them, he would have to have paid 50 shekels and marry her. If one of them were married, a.k.a. uh, this was like an adultery situation, they both would have been killed. I mean, I feel like in that verse, it sounds like an incestuous relationship. (laughs) Or maybe that's just her fetish. If you were like a brother to me who nursed my mother's breast. Or maybe she's just like, hey, if only you were a brother, I wouldn't be stoned. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Amazing what stoning will make you think. That's true. (laughs) Incest, not so bad. Just kidding, it's really bad. No, it's super bad. Don't do that. That's not, don't take that out of context. (laughs) Sarah Hoff, quote, incest, not that bad. And then it becomes like it just go- follows me to my grave. I can never get another job. It's actually on your tombstone. Yeah. <laughs> Incest colon not, so not that bad. <laughs> and then it's just me shrugging. <laughs> not bad. Um, so again, like this is a love story. This is a narrative of a man and a woman admiring each other. Then she's searching for him. There's this like big weird insert to thing about a wedding in Song of Solomon and then this main this man and the woman find each other in the garden and they make sweet, sweet love, which is to say they fucked like rabbits. <laughs> I just almost spilled my drink. <laughs> Sarah, you got real excited. You got real excited. I'm super sex positive and nothing about the Bible is sex positive except for like this one book. And you're and you're clinging to it. It's your favorite. I like that about you, Sarah. Would you like would you like me to read a couple of highlights? I would like nothing better. Okay. Here we go. Song of Solomon, chapter five, verse five. I arose to open to my beloved, 
and my hands dripped with myrrh. Bow chicka bow bow. I was thinking it. I wasn't going to say it. Chapter 7, verse 3. Your two breasts are like two fawns. <laughs> Twins <laughs> of a gazelle. Okay. <laughs> Chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. Why did I almost go into a Kennedy impression? <laughs> I, I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of the fruit. <laughs> wow. Okay, on to chapter 8, verse 2. I would give you spiced wine to drink. The juice of my pomegranate. And yes, Sarah, that does mean vaginal lube. <laughs> Let's just start to live in a time when, like, they had to use pomegranate juice instead of, like, just AY. <laughs> oh. I do not even want to know what the fallout from that would be. <laughs> just, just, like, just all the just yeast infections. Yeast. Yeah, yeah. Here's something I do want to know, though. What would you do if your special man friend or lady friend said, quote, your stature is like a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. I'd be like, so are you saying that I need to use more lotion and exfoliate because my skin isn't that awful? (laughs) Rude. Agreed. And that's super sexy for its time. Oxford Bible Commentary argues that it was most likely written during the early to mid-Second Temple era, which is somewhere in the ballpark of 530 BCE, give or take a few centuries. So sacred erotic writings are in both the Jewish and Christian canon. And we're like, la, 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 it isn't there. It's about the church. Um, like, I guess... It's a lot easier to make this about God and the church or Jesus and the church than to actually get into the nuances of sex in a congregation because, let's face it, there's a lot of divisiveness and misinformation. But anyways, but that doesn't, that doesn't really let them off the hook. Just because it's easier to do it one way, easier to like restate a narrative, that doesn't mean it's right. An easy narrative can still be a bad narrative, oh, and most often it is. Agreed. Agreed. So my takeaway from this is that it's a bit of a bummer. This text isn't used more and mm-hmm. in better ways. Um, it challenges traditional views on sex, which is sorely needed in the church where sex and bodies are still mostly considered taboo. And also, you know, I would add that I think that we do a huge detriment to our culture and um, to ourselves when we're not talking about sex in churches because there's so much anxiety around sex. We are not addressing sexuality. We're not addressing gender, which causes, I think, all of our anxieties, especially for cisgendered people, I think, go on to, um, you know, trans folk, go on to um, gay people uh, and lesbians and bisexual folks whenever we are not dealing with our own shit. So I think this is a wonderful text to start the discussion about sex and gender and all those good stuff. Yeah. I think 
one one last thought for me is that I like that love is central to the story. And yeah. that's pretty much the point, right? Love. Yeah. I used to read Psalms a lot when I was a kid, when I was still believing, because of that same kind of idea. Like, it, there's a lot of love in those passages. This is mm-hmm. a different kind of love, but I, that's something that I really appreciate about it. So uh, on that note, I'd like to give two last words, one to uh, Song of Solomon and one to uh, John Collins, who wrote the book that we are relying upon today. Song of Solomon 8, 6 states, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death, passion as fierce as the grave. Many waters cannot quench love, neither floods drown it. If one offered for love all the wealth of one's house, it would be utterly scorned. And John Collins to follow that up by stating, love so intense is perhaps as close as mortals can come to participation in something divine. This is where I would make a joke, but I can't because that's actually really sweet. But I think that means it's a rich text. Indeed it is. Fertile ground. Rigid love. (laughs) Fertile ground, Sarah, for tilling. (laughs) (laughs) So this is our formal apology to Dr. Neil Walls. Yes. For our giggling in your Song of Solomon class, thank you for teaching us to love this book. Yes, thank you. I will never forget it. All right, I think that's about all we got. Thanks for tuning in today. If you want to get a hold of us, you can find us on Twitter at Bible Bitches. You can also find us on Facebook on fan and group pages, Bible Bitches. Or you can email us at BibleBetches, B-E-T-C-H-E-S, at gmail.com. That's right, because Google's a little bit prudish, and they will not let us say bitch. It is super true. You can also check out our podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And um, a big shout-out to Engaged Gays for um, hosting our podcast. And a big shout-out to Miss Eves, who um, very graciously let us use her music for both the intro and outro. The song is TNT, and you totally got to go listen to it. She has great music. I'm such a huge fan. Thank you, Miss Eves. Also a huge fan of Aaron Smith. Um, He has done the artwork for uh, Bible Bitches, and you can find him on Twitter at Aaron Doodles. Uh, That is A-A-R-O-N Doodles. Um, So thanks for tuning in today. We uh, look forward to talking to you in the future. 